Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You're invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. This morning's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his eleven disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In dying, Christ destroyed our death, and in rising, Christ restored our life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live, and those who live and believe in me shall never die. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of hell and of death. Because I live, you shall live also. Friends, we've gathered here to praise God and to witness to our faith as we remember death. That's right. This is a funeral for death. Now, we have many different memories of death. Death was born in a garden in Genesis chapter 3. His parents were arrogance and rebellion. He seemed strangely fond of snakes. And upon first meeting, he forced Adam and Eve out of their home and ruined their unbroken relationship with God. Though they were created to live in fellowship with God forever, an act of disobedience introduced death into the world, and once he entered, his presence would be made known. At a young age, death quickly took on hobbies. He really enjoyed envy and jealousy, turning family against one another. When brothers Cain and Abel were offering sacrifices, Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not. So instead of following his brother's example, Cain introduced Abel to death instead. Well, time went on, and death was growing up. He was a real take-control type. Matter of fact, the type of things that death was a part of increased. Death was a part of famine, oppression, slavery, violence. And if you look way back to that time, there was really only one family that wasn't all about death. And that family was told to build a cruise ship complete with a zoo. And they boarded while everyone else became intimately familiar with death. 
Death kept on trying to get connected with a very important family. He tried to get a hold of Abraham's son Isaac, but God had other plans. Isaac's son Jacob came awfully close to meeting death from his own trickery a time or two. Jacob's favorite son Joseph kept on dodging death, despite the best efforts of those who were jealous of his wisdom and his talents. In fact, Joseph told the exact same brothers who tried to kill him that what they meant to be Joseph's encounter with death actually led to life for countless people. Death must have been really disappointed by that one. Well, for those who know him, you know death is persistent. Not one to give up, death stuck around and lent a hand when God's chosen people became enslaved by the Egyptians. That was going really well for death until God turned death against the oppressors. Only the households marked by the blood of the Lamb were untouched by death that night of the Passover. Still, it was a big night for death. Through the years, death became pretty well known and had many prominent roles through history, not just among God's chosen people, but of course around the world. Maybe you remember back to 1942, the Bataan Death March, claiming 572 lives per day. Few were probably here to remember the San Francisco earthquake and fire of 1906, and death claimed 1,000 lives that day. There were the terror attacks of 9-11 that impacted our world with 2,966 deaths from the events of that day, and then the after-effects of countless people from the events of terror. And that doesn't count those many in the ongoing battle against terrorism. Maybe you know about the global AIDS crisis that has claimed 4,654 lives daily. Back in 2011, death frequently partners with disease, we find. Before any of our times, the Battle of Antietam saw 7,200 meet death per day during that Civil War battle. 1994's Rwandan genocide took the lives of 8,761 people per day. We know that between May and July of 1944, 10,000 people per day met death at Auschwitz. From 1918 to 1919, a global flu pandemic ended the lives of 82,137 people per day. Then there was an atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima in 1945, and up to 166,000 encountered death that day. War certainly played a big role in death's career. We've all been impacted by COVID-19 in one way or another over this past year, and it's claimed an estimated 2.84 million lives globally, with over 550,000 of those in the U.S. alone. These are some of death's biggest accomplishments. I know for a fact that he has impacted your lives in some personal ways. I know he has, because we've experienced some of the same funerals together. And although we've experienced those in some pretty different ways recently, we've wept over losses together. We've hunted for hope together in the midst of heartbreak and grief. Death has impacted each of our lives, and I don't need to remind us. But still... We are here to remember death. How did death meet its end? He was attacked. Death was, death was ambushed. His assailant snuck up, first coming as a helpless baby. Who would have thought that a kid born in a barn and raised in Nazareth would have it in him? The neighbors sure didn't expect it. But death knew something was going on. His record had been pretty consistent up to that point, but there were a few more recalls on his work than usual. 
The widow of Nain's son was a goner in the coffin, but death's attacker changed that around. It's a similar story with Jairus' daughter. This guy made light of death's work, and that little girl was only sleeping, he said. But death's labor was once again undone. And then there was Lazarus. He was stinking in the tomb when this guy came along and shouted at Lazarus like death hadn't even done a thing. Talk about disrespect. Well, death had enough. He was going to take this guy out. This fellow was costing death business, and death had plenty of help on this one. Vanity, greed, envy, lust, gluttony, pride, wrath, even sloth got in on the action. This guy was hurting business for all of them. And so one Friday, the whole mob teamed up and killed the guy, tortured him, made fun of him, nailed him to a cross, ran a spear into his side to make sure he was good and dead. And then before dusk fell, their dead attacker was sealed into a tomb. They had free reign again. Death and all his buddies felt safe again. But then, Sunday morning, very unexpectedly, death suffered a terrible blow. He was absolutely overcome. That opponent that they all thought they could forget about had another plan. See, he wasn't just any man. He was Jesus. Because he is God's only son who lived a life of perfect love and faithfulness, his death defeated sin. And because he is the one who has authority over life and death, he rose again that Sunday morning and conquered death itself. Death was dead. Jesus, death's master, had won. Life won. Love won. And that's why we gather to remember today. Our lives are still impacted by death. He leaves a legacy that we all still carry, but he doesn't get the final word. Jesus does. And so we say goodbye to death. One day we will say goodbye to death forever, and he will not be missed. The funeral part is over, but I'm still going to preach a little bit. See, death is overcome in our lives through faith in Jesus, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we're going to pick up from some of the scripture that we got to hear this morning, and we're going to start with our first lesson, which is, we still have a hard time believing that death lost. We still have a hard time believing that death lost. In verse 5, we read how the women were terrified and bowed low before those beings. And the men asked, why are you looking in a tomb for someone who is alive? Why do you search for the living among the dead? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Don't you remember what he told you in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and crucified? And that he would rise again on the third day? Adults specifically, how many of you are afraid of the boogeyman? or the monster under the bed, anything like that. Maybe you saw some monster movies as a kid, or you saw some sort of scary images, and it stuck with you for a while, but for a lot of us, those fears didn't continue. Why? Because we came to understand that those things that haunted our thoughts didn't exist in reality. Death still exists, and we can't deny that, but even with Jesus' resurrection, our frail bodies, our own mortal coil, still expires. But we don't have to fear that. 
We don't have to race towards it like fools either, but we don't have to fear it. Even though death is real, it simply doesn't have the power over us that it once did. I know the reality of eternity with God is either something we take for granted, like we don't have to live for God because God's pretty chill and pretty nice. It's probably fine that we spend a lot of time pretending like there is no God because we will probably still get to spend forever living with the God that we've spent this life rejecting. Or maybe we don't think about it at all because it seems too good to be true, like something someone made up to comfort people who were sad or who couldn't cope, or to manipulate the gullible people who couldn't think, like it's all probably just a scam. But why can't it be true? Why can't a loving God overcome the evils and injustices and pains of this world by giving us mercy and justice to conquer all of these things forever? Death gives us a motivation to live for God in this life right now, and it's a motivation that also allows us to live without fear. Our second lesson. Believing this unbelievably good news robs death of its power. Believing this unbelievably good news robs death of its power. Then they remembered that Jesus had said this. So they rushed back to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. The women who went to the tomb were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several others. They told the apostles what had happened, but the story sounded like nonsense, so they didn't believe it. Nobody believed the women when they returned with the news that Jesus rose, which begs the question, why can't people just believe the women? Sometimes life is just easier when you simply believe the women. When we trust that Jesus rose from the dead, we know that God has power and authority. He doesn't just turn us from obnoxious sinners into obnoxious religious hypocrites. That's not why Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. We know that God is able to take our brokenness, our sins, and our dead lives and restore them. He can take the worst we have and turn it into beauty. Here's why that really matters. If Jesus can raise from the dead our sad, discouraged, and fearful hearts can have peace and joy in this life because we haven't gone so far that God cannot save us. We aren't so broken that God cannot make things right. We aren't so deep in darkness that we cannot be brought back into light. When we believe that, not just in our minds, but living it out in our core reality, death is powerless in our lives. And we have eternal purpose. And then our third lesson, God has grace for wanderers who wandered. God has grace for wanderers who wandered. However, Peter ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. So we know before the events of Easter morning, Peter had denied Jesus three times when Jesus was being kept as a prisoner. Jesus said it was going to happen, and to Peter's shame, it did. He failed his best friend, and Jesus died before Peter had a chance to even apologize. Have you ever carried guilt, hurting somebody that you know you'll never have a chance to make right? You carry this guilt and shame and embarrassment like a a weight on your chest that may never be lifted. 
And imagine someone tells you that you have the chance to make things right, that the impossible opportunity to reconcile is right there. Would you run to that? Because Peter did. He ran to it. He saw the possibility that maybe, just maybe, things could still be right. And he wondered, can his mistake be forgiven? Can his mistake be forgiven? Now, it didn't happen for Peter in this morning's reading, but it did happen. And just as it happened for him, it can happen for us. See, God can make up the distance of all of our rebellion in a heartbeat, in an instant, in a choice. Why does Easter matter? Because Jesus came to save those wandering wanderers who carry deathly heavy loads. He came to swap out burdens and death for life that is true and abundant and eternal. Jesus is alive, and in him we can be too. Today at the table, we get to receive the gift of Christ's presence that lets us accept the gift of forgiveness, to choose to believe the impossible, and to receive a brand new beginning. So now if you have your communion elements, I invite you to take those out at this moment. And please feel free to join in the communion liturgy. The words for the congregation to share together are in bold on the screen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and who seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and before one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And we'll take a moment to silently confess our sins. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. This proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through the prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you, God, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. 
Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. And on the night when he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke it, shared it with his disciples, and said, Take and eat, all of you. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this as often as you eat it, remembering me. And likewise, when the meal was finished, he took the cup, giving thanks to you, Lord, shared it with his disciples, and said, Take and drink, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Do this as often as you drink it, remembering me. And so as we remember these your mighty acts through Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Would you make them to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to the entire world until you return in victory and we gather together at your heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Now, those who are a part of our in-person congregation, if you have received the communion elements this morning, there is a cellophane seal that is over the bread element, and so you can peel that back and receive just the bread, and you might eat that as you are ready, just as your conscience and spirit leads you. You can receive that. This is the body of Christ, which is broken in love for you. And those, the layer underneath that is the juice layer. You can peel off the foil part to receive that. This is the blood of Christ, which is shed in love for you. Those who are joining at home, if you have something to eat and drink, this is an opportunity to share in that as a love feast and giving thanks to God. Now, as we receive these gifts of God, this gift of forgiveness, we get to reflect and pray, meditate in our seats, receive this gift of Holy Communion as the music plays.
Lord, thank you for this gift of communion, for the opportunity to offer our thanks to you for what you have offered to us. And Lord, we pray that the gift of forgiveness that has been extended through these simple elements would take hold in our lives so that we might know the peace and experience the love that you've given us to share with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.